Were you wondering what I was thinking? For a moment, did you think about the implications that the Supreme Court justice decides on many things, not just what questions come up in the hearing process, but so many subjects that come before the court, which can be quite perplexing, yet important, and they could actually have many ramifications for so many people in the country. Now, of course, there are the subjects that come up in the immediate sense of what cases are before the docket in the immediate. But there are the unforeseen cases that people have in mind because of cases that have occurred previously and generations before. What am I referring to? Well, there were comments made yesterday, which was day two, and then today again, and day three, that led me to think back to what would be some examples that would be important to note that uh, perhaps would more clearly give an example. Let me specify. There is a lot of talk about the Affordable Care Act, yes. However, there is also mention of the Voting Rights Act. And when questioned as to if she saw importance to the Voting Rights Act and whether it should be kept, it seemed as if though she was unclear as to its importance in its existence in our society. I'm not saying that she would not decide for or against it. However, it seemed as if though she didn't understand how much in jeopardy the Voting Rights Act truly is. And when people talk about the importance of a vote, when a person has attained the right to vote or was born with the right to vote, they truly maintain that responsibility as much as possible. I know I have over the years. Now, have there been one or two or a few elections where I haven't voted because I have moved or I have decided not to vote in that particular election, yes, there have. But I also know that there have been senses of urgency where I know that a vote is extremely critical and that I have not passed up that opportunity to utilize my one vote. And so there also is the sense of responsibility to that one vote that I have, understanding that there are people who do not have the ability to cast the vote. And that is why it is a summarily intense responsibility. 
And so that's why when I say there have been times where if I have been moving or if there have been complications in time and or there have been moments where I have decided that that was not a vote that I have uh, cast, then that has been a difficult decision in and of itself. But that is, in essence, forfeiting a vote. And that is a loss of a vote. Votes are important, and elections are lost on votes. Elections are won on votes. But also what makes a difference between this, our democracy, and other countries that are not democracies, is the difference between the liberty of one to choose how one votes and to keep that vote private. Or if one chooses to say who they vote for, then one can say who they vote for. But the ability to choose either way. And so that is a choice. Are there people who do not have the ability to vote? Yes, there are. I am cognizant of that. But there was an afoot today in the conversation. And I don't mean afoot as in someone's foot. I mean the word afoot, A-F-O-O-T, which is there was something present in the moment in the conversation. To detail out the kinds of changes that are being presented before legislative matters to change decisions on who can vote and who cannot, and what that means for the voting process. That in and of itself changes the Voting Rights Act. Yes, that does to one aspect, but also let's not lose foresight to the basic principles and the basic protections of the Voting Rights Act, which are the ability to cast the a vote in and of itself. I give one example. When Senator Cruz began talking about how some people are in some states are trying to cast ballots on whether people with certain convictions should have the right to vote or not. And of course, asking the candidate for the Supreme Court justice position, of course, you'd be an associate Supreme Court justice. They went off air before I could hear Judge Barrett's response. But what I think is important is that some of her responses to previous questions that would have asked her opinion were the same in that she didn't want to respond to something where it might come before her as a decision matter. And so I can 
deduce that perhaps she would have said she can't make a comment based on the fact that it would have perhaps come before her as a decision, and therefore she could not make a comment. But I'm not one to say that that's exactly what she would have said, that that's what my deduction would be. And so it's a fair assessment given that in at least one state that is coming for voters as a decision to be made, whether people with certain conviction backgrounds could have their voting rights restored. But what it did not say is, would it be all people with those particular convictions? And what ends up happening is you end up seeing regurgitations of legislation. I give, for example, in some states, you see one proposition in one election take up one particular subject of the topic and then identify whether or not it passes. If it passes, then on the next election, it seems to take on another piece of the question. And so you see a gradual dismantling or a gradual parceling, I should say, of a bigger law. Now, you would have to be actually paying attention to the details of every single election in order to see that someone is actually trying to change and then change back and then change over and then rechange details of the same law. Why would they be doing that unless they had a particular goal in mind? So it's an unusual situation and circumstance almost like a puzzle that someone seems to be precariously moving brick by brick. And so I can understand why in some instances she was responding as she could not respond directly because it may come before her as a decision. But let me give a further example. In Texas, the court has said it is okay for Texas to have only a certain amount of ballot boxes per county, allowing a fewer ballot boxes than had been previously allowed in previous elections. The reasoning being due to COVID. 19. However, if one were to look at the history of what would constitute the definition of keeping people from voting, that actually would fall under that very perspective. 
and definition. So would the fact that some people have been having to stand in line for hours on end. Well, in contrast to other states that have been running extremely efficient polling precincts. Now, why is this relevant to a Supreme Court nominee? They're obviously going to be deciding on many, many factors. And the Voting Rights Act was a critical act. Critical. In that it restored equality of voting to many. But I'm not going to further comment on that at the moment because we are in the middle of an election process and I am not speaking in any way or other to skew the election in one direction or other. In fact, I cast my ballot already. And I can tell you from my own experience that yesterday as I was waiting to cast my ballot, I very much was going to vote by mail as has been my ability for years. And so if I vote early, it allows me not to have to wait in line. It's so efficient. It's actually quite fantastic of a process. It works wonders. But it also gives me the choice of whether I want to walk it in on election day. And what happened yesterday is I noticed that our mailman was so busy he because sometimes they have multiple routes that they arrive several times in one day and as i mentioned once before they even deliver on sundays they're so busy but nonetheless yesterday he was so busy he arrived in the neighborhood he left the neighborhood and i thought well I am just determined to vote today, and I am going to get this done. So I decided, well, nothing to it but to get it done. So I put my walking shoes on, got myself together, hydrated with some water before I left, and then I was on my way. And it's quite an ordeal for me to walk about a mile. So there I went. And it took me longer to get there than it did to actually vote. But it was worth it. Well worth it. And I did that because I wanted to prove a point. This point. That, yes, I could have waited until today. I could have waited until tomorrow. I could have waited until the day after. But I was ready. And I saw the beads of sweat 
on the mailman's forehead as he turned the truck around to continue his route. And I knew he might return a little later or he might return the next day. But you see, I'd already finished my ballot and there was no need to belabor the point. And so, there I went on my way. And I had been waiting most of the day. So, as I was returning from this journey of the day, I realized how exhausted I was, how difficult it was to be walking with that mask on my face because yes, people, some people, they laugh, you know, and others, they just look away and others, they're like, that look on the face as if, does she really need to wear a mask? And I thought, I know I could have stayed home, but I didn't really need to. And after all, the fresh air was worth it. And they didn't bother me any. I didn't bother them any. And when I got to the polls, the election polls, it was a simple process. The lady said, you could just drop it in the box. And there it went. The envelope. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, here's the thing. No, I don't live in Texas. So no, I'm not giving Texas as an example because that's where I live. Have I ever traveled to Texas? Yes. No, my grandfather actually lived in Texas for a little bit when he was uh, helping to build the railroads. And so it's interesting that uh, Texas would have such a policy at this point in time, which seems quite uh, retroactive. But I wonder what my grandfather would say now if, I, if he was alive and I asked him. He would probably not appreciate the current circumstances and state of that particular policy. Because you see, it doesn't seem fair. If there was only one location to drop off a ballot, it likely would not have been simply one mile away. And therein lies a true complication and difficulty for many voters. How do they get their ballots delivered? Or how do they get to a polling place on, the pl on election day? And therein lies the importance of voting by mail. 
such that the postal workers are so critical to this election. And in a moment, I shall return with a couple of comments that I had promised you yesterday. Oh, and so the important thing to remember is when I mentioned that there were two books that you should read, uh, the first book I mentioned was Half the Sky, and I do reiterate that that one is only recommended, I would say, for someone over the age of 20, because it certainly is a heavy material to read. And the second book, I didn't mention it yesterday because I wanted you to think about getting the book Half the Sky first and then really think about the analysis I had provided yesterday before I would give you the second book. The second book is The End of Poverty. The author of that book is Jeffrey Sachs, an economist he goes into his theory as to what would encompass ending poverty all over the world and why it's relevant to the conversation, although we've been talking about, I know I say we, but it really has just been myself commenting. I really am surprised, though, I should say. A year later, no one has truly responded or commented on anything that I've said. Is what I have to say truly that boring to everyone listening? Perplexing. Well, anyway. And so Jeffrey Sachs talks about how he proposes ending poverty by 2030. And how important that is to the moving forward of the world. I don't mean moving forward as in the way the axis turns. No, 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 no. The Earth is always going to continue spinning on its axis. That is gravitational. It more has to do with the importance of seeing the need of food in global society. And... It can be understood that his theories are important and critical to the survivability of the world. Sustainability plays a big role in this. And over the years since the book was written, much has occurred towards advancing that particular concept. Because one can truly understand that food programs are critical not just in individual countries, but throughout the world. And in fact, that can be seen in the way that this year, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to the United Nations Food Program. Duly noted is the fact that they didn't just begin last year providing food to the world. No, no, no. They have been doing this for decades and decades upon decades looking to see exactly what is necessary, how to solve problems through world food distribution. 
Now, it isn't an easily solvable problem, obviously. There are many hiccups, many complications, and still further to go. However, much conflict has been averted because of the World Food Program. It is called the United Nations Food Program. And the fact that it was awarded the Peace Prize this year is important given the fact that so much has been done thus far. And also, though, important to note that despite the projections that we are on the verge as a world of a global food shortage, and as frightening as that may sound, it does cause one to pause for a moment to understand what that means and how important it is, not only in the immediate sense for individuals who do not have enough to eat in our neighborhoods, because we can easily understand that when it happens to ourselves or to our neighbors or to our family members. But when we start to look at the statistics, even in advanced societies, well, advanced being uh, superfluous, uh, in developed countries that have an economic advantage because they can afford to purchase food, even in and I say that, even in economically developed countries, there are areas where people face poverty and food insecurity at levels of one in four. And if proportions of that level exist in economically developed countries, one can look at, and I direct you to read well, I say direct, but that's not forcing you to read it. It's just a recommendation to read that particular book because that will give you a global perspective. That particular book will tell you more of what the global situation is and give you perspective. And then you can go on the particular links to understand what the present-day circumstances are which are even more difficult given the COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused an even greater shortage of food due to some of the complications because of what has happened around the world. Now, if you're wondering and you can't find the Half the Sky book, that one was written by a couple, which I mentioned, and they were... Nicholas Kristoff Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wodan is the other author. And I mentioned that they are a couple, both Pulitzer Prize winners, that uh, wrote the book together. 
and they are full of a great deal of insight as to what the world goes through. And why I had recommended that book yesterday was to give perspective on the differences when it comes to choice for women's reproductive health. Because in this country, we as women have choices to be able to have reproductive health choices is critical. And it is essential, and so is much of the preventive care that is allowable at the moment, which is very much a right in this country because of the health care that we have. But what ends up happening is a lot of people don't realize that the types of health care available in this country are not always allowable or even available in all countries around the world. And it isn't until one finds the perspective or recognizes the perspective of what people go through in other countries that one values the importance of one of what one has here in this country. And it is essential, truly essential, to understand that the recognizable uniqueness of what this country is, is truly wondrous. And that must continue to be preserved. simply appreciated but preserved and that is why voting is essential and I'll return with another brief moment in just a bit oh and so the important thing to remember is when I mentioned that there were two books that you should read, uh, the first book I mentioned was Half the Sky, and I do reiterate that that one is only recommended, I would say, for someone over the age of 20, because it certainly is a heavy material to read. And the second book... I didn't mention it yesterday because I wanted you to think about getting the book Half the Sky first and then really think about the analysis I had provided yesterday before I would give you the second book. The second book is The End of Poverty. The author of that book is Jeffrey Sachs, an economist he goes into his theory as to what would encompass ending poverty all over the world and why it's relevant to the conversation, although we've been talking about, I know I say we, but it really has just been myself commenting. I really am surprised, though, I should say. A year later, no one has truly responded or commented on anything that I've said. 
Is what I have to say truly that boring to everyone listening? Perplexing. Well, anyway. And so Jeffrey Sachs talks about how he proposes ending poverty by 2030 and how important that is to the moving forward of the world. I don't mean moving forward as in the way the axis turns. No, 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 no. The Earth is always going to continue spinning on its axis. That is gravitational. It more has to do with the importance of seeing the need of food in global society. And... It can be understood that his theories are important and critical to the survivability of the world. Sustainability plays a big role in this. And over the years since the book was written, much has occurred towards advancing that particular concept. Because one can truly understand that food programs are critical not just in individual countries, but throughout the world. And in fact, that can be seen in the way that this year, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to the United Nations Food Program. Duly noted is the fact that they didn't just begin last year providing food to the world. No, no, no. They have been doing this for decades and decades upon decades looking to see exactly what is necessary, how to solve problems through world food distribution. Now, it isn't an easily solvable problem, obviously. There are many hiccups, many complications, and still further to go. However, much conflict has been averted because of the World Food Program. It is called the United Nations Food Program. And the fact that it was awarded the Peace Prize this year is important given the fact that so much has been done thus far. And also, though, important to note that despite the projections that we are on the verge as a world of a global food shortage, and as frightening as that may sound, it does cause one to pause for a moment to understand what that means and how important it is, not only in the immediate sense for individuals who do not have enough to eat in our neighborhoods, because we can easily understand that when it happens to ourselves or to our neighbors or to our family members. But when we start to look at the statistics, even in advanced societies, well, advanced being superfluous, uh, in developed countries that have an economic advantage because they can afford to purchase food, even in and I say that even in economically developed countries, there are 
areas where people face poverty and food insecurity at levels of one in four. And if proportions of that level exist in economically developed countries, one can look at, and I direct you to read, well, I say direct, but that's not forcing you to read it. It's just a recommendation to read that particular book because that will give you a global perspective. That particular book will tell you more of what the global situation is and give you perspective. And then you can go on the particular links to understand what the present day circumstances are which are even more difficult given the COVID-19 pandemic, which has caused an even greater shortage of food due to some of the complications because of what has happened around the world. Now, if you're wondering and you can't find the Half the Sky book, that one was written by a couple, which I mentioned, and they were... Nicholas Kristoff Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wodan is the other author. And I mentioned that they are a couple, both Pulitzer Prize winners, that uh, wrote the book together. And they are full of a great deal of insight as to what the world goes through. And why I had recommended that book yesterday was to give perspective on the differences when it comes to choice for women's reproductive health. Because in this country, we as women have choices to be able to have reproductive health choices is critical. And it is essential, and so is much of the preventive care that is allowable at the moment, which is very much a right in this country because of the health care that we have. But what ends up happening is a lot of people don't realize that the types of health care available in this country are not always allowable or even available in all countries around the world. And it isn't until one finds the perspective or recognizes the perspective of what people go through in other countries that one values the importance of one of what one has here in this country and it is essential truly essential to understand that the recognizable uniqueness of what this country is, is truly wondrous. And that must continue to be preserved.
simply appreciated but preserved, and that is why voting is essential. And I'll return with another brief moment in just a bit. And what happened later that afternoon was a series of praises for the nominee, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, about how the senators in the majority party felt that she was highly qualified for the position. There was at least one senator who felt so compelled by her qualifications that he declared he wanted to associate himself with the comments of a different senator who had eloquently stated how well she had comported herself in the hearings and in answering many of the questions. And then, shortly thereafter, this portion of the hearings ended, and they stated that although it would continue for a few more days, she would no longer be uh, part of the proceedings. This very portion. And so what happens then? procedural and one can see that in that today there was a series of procedural motions which were preceded by statements made by the senators in the morning although before then there was a lack of quorum and before there was quorum, many senators were commenting uh, very eloquently, I might say, about just how they felt about the process itself and how things had changed over the years and how important it was to really remember the importance of their responsibilities as senators. And so as they began to speak to each other and listen to each other on the record, they certainly then moved forward into the next portion of the morning, which was uh, the next phase of the hearings, where then the uh, members from the ABA began to provide their comments. Of course, if you're tired of my own little brief 
summations, you are more than welcome to look it up yourself or follow your own live coverage on whichever network you feel would be best suited for you to see it yourself, hear it yourself, or read it yourself. The wonderful thing about processes such as these is they are public, shy, of course, of the closed session portions, which are closed session for a reason. But the majority of the process is public for good reason. Some of the questions that have come up and yesterday that did come up in terms of what would be her position on cameras in the Supreme Court? Because uh, one thing that is interesting is the Supreme Court does not allow cameras in the courtroom. And so that is something that she answered to, which, interestingly enough, she wasn't commenting on many things in terms of hypothetically or what would she do in such a situation where there a situation before her but in that instance she did comment whether she would be open to or not open to and she answered that uh, she would uh, be open to the concept of there to thinking of and be open to which was interesting because most any other subject she deferred Anyway, I don't mean to digress, but I just wanted to give the summation of what happened yesterday and then uh, what was going forward today. Having said that, have a great rest of your day.